in our Advent series we've called Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. Each of the four Sundays of Advent, we've been looking at an Old Testament passage that has helped us to appreciate the growing sense of anticipation of ancient Israel for the coming or advent of the Messiah. And this afternoon, we arrive in Bethlehem to the wonder of God in the flesh, the baby born to Mary. But the question is, how does a baby born 2,000 years ago impact our lives today? How does this even unique birth help us in a time of trial and suffering? The Bible gives us this answer in summary. Jesus has come, and He is coming again. And so every Christmas season, it's so very appropriate for us to look back to Bethlehem, but also and always to look forward. One of the shows Cedar and I enjoy watching is called Hometown. It's on HDTV, I'm um, willing to admit. And in the little town of Laurel, Mississippi, a couple named Aaron and Ben find these old rundown homes and renovate them. I think it's so appealing because there is a sense of deep satisfaction in taking something that seems useless, something that seems like it should be thrown away, and making it new again, restoring a lost glory. I don't think that the show would have such an appeal if every episode started with a bulldozer showing up on a property and tearing it down. I mean, I, I like a good demo. I, I love watching a, a, a tall, old building being imploded in a cloud of dust. I loved watching the old Tappanzee Bridge uh, falling right into the Hudson River on cue. But to fix, to make new, to restore a former glory, there's something deeply, satisfaction, deeply satisfying about that reality. We have this uh, orchid in our home that for months and months just looked like it was dead, and I offered to throw it away, and I got a very passionate, do not touch my orchid from Cedar. Uh, and over the months, she repotted it, she fertilized it, she watered it just right, she put it into just enough um, indirect sunlight, and wouldn't you know, one day there's a bud and next thing you know, there are four beautiful white flowers. It would have been so much easier to just go to the store and buy an orchid that was ready to bloom. But there's that satisfaction in reclaiming something that seems lost and restoring it to its former glory. If we fast forward to the end of history, when Jesus comes again, in the very next to last chapter of the Bible, we read this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. At the climactic moment of all of world history, the Creator King does not shake his head and say, I'm going to make new things. I'm going to get rid of what has been there. It, it's no longer useful, it's no longer beautiful, it's lost its former glory. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to take what is old and run down, what looks decrepit and decaying, what seems like it might as well be tossed aside, it looks like it's hardly worth keeping it, 
and I am going to make it new. I will restore its former glory. God's people and God's creation are a cosmic reclamation project. If Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, um, is paradise lost, the beginning of the Bible, then Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is paradise restored. Creation, broken down by sin, marred and scarred, is now recreated, remade, with a greater glory than it ever had to begin with. The ultimate renovation project in all of history, throughout the universe, is accomplished by the king who came in humility, born in a manger. When the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her that she's about to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, she goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth in another town, and it turns out Elizabeth is also pregnant with a boy who will become John the Baptist. And Mary breaks out into spontaneous praise. This is called the Magnificat. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary praises the Lord with a sense of calm, like a daughter who just knows that her daddy will make all things right. What's interesting is that Mary's praise language is in the past tense, It's praising God for what he has done, even though in the moment we could say Mary's life is not what it should be. It's it's not what she dreams it could be. The world is not as it's supposed to be. And yet she speaks of God's salvation as if it has already been accomplished, as if it's a done deed, when the reality is the great hope of the Messiah has just recently been conceived in her. He has not arrived yet. But she sees with spirit-filled eyes that the beginning of the end has already come. The Messiah will make all things right. He will make all things new. It's what this past Sunday's passage from Isaiah 11 describes, even though we didn't get um, to spend the time walking through it. It's a picture of the world under the kingly reign of the Messiah. Um, we'll, We'll just glance at it real quickly. Isaiah chapter 11, um, a a bit by bit, verse 3, this Messiah under his kingly reign, when he makes all things new, he won't judge according to eyes and ears, according to the physical senses. He'll judge according to the spirit, spiritual realities with righteousness and justice. He won't be dazzled by beauty and power and wealth, which too easily happens in the Americanized spin on the biblical gospel. That distortion too easily and too often ignores the marginalized, the vulnerable, the forgotten, the needy, and that distortion 
minimizes the ugliness and reality of sin, which God offers to make beautiful if you'll trust in his Savior, Jesus. That's why that nativity set under your tree shouldn't look all that cleaned up and neat and tidy because it's supposed to be a picture of the humble and the ordinary. It's supposed to depict a most unexpected place and scene for God the Son to arrive on the scene of history in the flesh to a nobody teenage girl in a nowhere little country town, maybe a little like Laurel, Mississippi. Verse 4 first part, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor. The king will set right what is wrong. This is the renovation project of all of the cosmos. And and his setting right what's wrong includes the vicious cycle of poverty. It's amazing that that theme is central to the Messiah's kingly reign. As the, the last verse of Joy to the World puts it, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He, Messiah, comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He'll renovate all things. And no question, poverty and injustice flow out of the curse of sin. That's why it shows up here in Isaiah 11. Second half of verse 4, Messiah will bring down justice, I'm summarizing, on those who reject the law, who oppress others, who live for self. Verse 5, righteousness and faithfulness are labels, they're identities that the Messiah will wear. He's all about righteousness and faithfulness. Verses 6 through 8 describe predators lying down with their prey. A lion will hang out with a tender calf who would make really amazing juicy steaks, but his teeth will not be bared. There will be no drooling. There'll be buds. But this isn't talking about wildlife so much as it's talking about the nations, a picture of a world without conflict. This is perfect shalom, not merely peace, but life in the created world as God always intended it to be in balance, harmony, perfectly made new, renovated from the breakdown and decay and neglect that are results of our sin and that of all of humanity. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Why will there be harmony among peoples? Why will there be life instead of death? Because knowledge of God will fill the earth. Seeing him as he really is, knowing who he is, acknowledging his kingship, that will change everything. That's my question for you this afternoon on Christmas Eve. Do you know the Savior? Not just the story, not just His name. Do you know Him and trust Him for your eternity, for your salvation? I know you want peace among nations. Who wouldn't? I know you want disease to be eradicated. I know you want relationships to be set right. I know you want every cause for tears to disappear. That's just universal longing. But the only way to get to the reveal, 
The only way to experience the fully renovated world that God intended in eternity is through faith in this Jesus, trusting in His perfect life that you could never live obediently enough, trusting in His substitute death to take your place and accept the judgment that your sin and mine deserve. Christmas hope is not a a passing, sentimental thought appreciating the, the cuteness or beauty of a baby born in a manger with animals all around him. No, in the midst of darkness, under a deadly global pandemic, with economic destruction that perhaps to some extent Bergen County doesn't see the worst of, where when relationships are distant and nothing in our world is as it should be, Christmas hope is the coming of the dawn after the darkness of the night in the return of the King who will finish when He comes again, making all things new. Let's trust in the Savior. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. King Jesus, in Your humility, those around You mocked, They belittled, they rejected your claim to the throne. And that was okay with you because you came to die. But when you come again, there will be no question. All will know. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All will know that you are the king who has come, who is returning to judge the world to set right everything that is wrong. So on this Christmas, when so much is wrong with our world, Lord, we do not pretend that everything is okay. In the midst of sorrow, we look to Your return, Jesus, praying, come, O Lord, come quickly. Finish what You started. Make new all things that we might glory in Your kingly presence and worship You forever. Jesus, we praise you. Amen.